You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Leah Coriel is a two-time Paralympian for Team USA and the 2022 World Archery Parachampion. She became a first-time Paralympian at the age of 51 and is a veteran of the U.S. Army. Now officially retired from the sport, we sit down and chat about her journey and her career. Well, yeah, I know that I've um, understood in the past that you've had some some challenges with calling yourself a veteran uh, because of, uh, you know, the, the time that you were in. But, but like any of us that uh, signed up and took the oath, you know, you are, you are a veteran. So I typically ask or start my uh, conversations with fellow veterans in terms of what was your why? Like, why did you sign up? Why did you decide you wanted to take that oath? Well, um, I was pretty in a pretty desperate situation. I grew up in a very poverty-stricken, dysfunctional family. So to be honest, I aged out of foster care. And I really didn't have a plan. And this, you know, was in the early 80s, way back when. And, you know, it was work at Target or figure something out. And I knew if I stayed, you know, in the hometown that I, my family and I lived in, that my life would not look different than theirs. And not that I didn't, you know, judge their life. I just wanted mine to look different. And so it was a means to an end. And, you know, there's a part of the the patriot in me, too. I have a long, long generations family history of service to this country but no women Mm. so that's something that has motivated me since i was a very small child is is to be the first to prove that it can be done because Mm -hmm. in many situations you know people set the bar really low for whatever reason for people who are born in poverty or people who you know come from families that you know didn't do something or because i'm in a wheelchair because i'm a woman that has motivated me to break those barriers as long as I can remember. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. That's that's awesome. And and likewise, I have a lot of family members who served, but all men. So mm-hmm. I, totally, uh, no, that's changing, which is good. Changing more and more. So that's good to see and good to good to know. Well, ironically, even now to this day, forty years after I enlisted, I have dozens of you know my own son enlisted, and then I have tons of nieces and nephews and second whatever, whatever. And there's still no other women mm. yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Mm-hmm. And, and so as I kind of alluded to, uh, you were diagnosed with MS when you were 19, that was six months into, I assume you completed basic training and were you, yep. were you got to AIT. And yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, by the end of AIT, I was really, really sick, but a lot of us women were sick. So they thought it was like something in the barracks. So we spent most of our team not learning to drive trucks and cleaning the barracks and come to find out it wasn't anything that was, you know, hygienic. It was actually uh, the vaccines caused an autoimmune response, especially in the women of that era. Mm. So a lot of us got very sick and ended up having to longboard medically retire very, very young. And that is something that I never even thought would happen. You know, I thought I was like dishonorably discharged. In fact, I didn't know that I was medically retired for 30 years. 
I just thought that I was, or I just thought that I was, you know, medically discharged. I had no idea that I was a 19 year old retired, you know, army private, which is really funny because back in the day you had to choose between VA benefits or DOD benefits. There was no crossover. And I knew the DOD benefits were based on your rank and I had no rank. So they advised me to take the VA benefit. So I did. And then at a later point when I had to get my DD-214s to um, get my passport to travel with Team USA, um, they're like, why are you not on our retiree list? And I'm like, I'm not retired. They're like, yeah, you are. Wow. (laughs) I know how weird, right? (laughs) And and so with that news, you know, what, what was going on through your mind and what did you decide to do with it? Cause I know that you went off to school and, and, uh, yes. and studied my GI bill yeah. and, you know, got my, my first degree I got right out when I came home after being medically discharged, very shamed, um, came back home and got a, I have a degree in recreation, fiat and health with a minor in psychology. And so I worked as a recreation therapist for many years. I've done tons of jobs. I, my attention span is about this long and I need to constantly, which is why the, the military was appealing to me is because I like to try lots of different things. But then um, I found myself 40 years old and divorced and having, you know, raising two kids on my own. So I went back to school to get my teaching degree. So I also have a bachelor's degree in secondary education with minors in sociology, psychology and library science. Hmm. I also have a master's degree in research and information science because that small little girl whose parents struggled to even read, let alone write, I was going to know everything. Hmm. I now have a degree that allows me, I don't use it for anything else other than people call me Leah. What painting is hanging in the Japanese embassy in Beirut? And I'm like, I I can find that. (laughs) So I can find the answer and know everything. And it's it's funny because that's probably my proudest achievement is that I can do that now. I don't ever have to ask somebody else for the answers and then not trust that they're telling me the truth. And that just comes from a, a life of challenge. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And it's amazing. I, I never thought of it that way, that, that that how much that type of a degree would be helpful in terms of just one. You don't have to have all the answers, but you know where to look for all the answers. Right. And it's a trust issue for me. So many years, I just had to trust that people were telling me Mm -hmm. it was correct. And, you know, that just comes from trauma, whether it be childhood, marital, life, familiar, societal. I don't have to trust people that they're telling me to that can verify it by myself. And for me, that was very important. And so kind of fast forward a little bit. How did you discover archery? (laughs) <laughs> so when I was getting my my second master's in library and information science, I was at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and uh, looking for a graduate assistantship. And they had asked me, you know, obviously I was on the GI Bill. So they said, would you sit on this committee? Uh, they had a student veteran advisory committee. As a student veteran, I'm a 40-year-old woman. And I'm like, this is in like 2013. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you have other real vets on campus here. And they're like, no, no, we want you. I'm like, so I go to the first board meeting. I'm like, how long is this group at meeting? And they said, two and a half years. And I'm like, and you've never actually had a student vet. And they said, nope. 
And I'm like, if you thought you were getting a token, you are wrong. So in working in that, I actually set up the Student Veteran Support Center, um, Military and Veteran Resource Center at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And to be honest, I was instrumental in setting up student vet success centers across the nation, working with the Pat Tillman Foundation, working with the Pentagon, working with Student Veterans of America. You know, why? why we have all these kids going to college and none of them are actually getting their degree. It's because they're not supported on campus. You know, and to me, what worked for me as a 40-year-old student veteran was to shame the chancellor <laughs> in front of the board because shame on you. You have 1,500 student vets enrolled in this school per semester. You're getting $5 million a semester and you have a Two percent graduation rate and zero resources. Shame on you! Mm. So that's how I, uh, you know, got to know the younger generations because I didn't even consider myself, you know, a vet. But these boys and my girls are pretty squared away. But the boys were the boys. You know, I don't care if they're 25, 26, 20, They still think you know farting is funny. You know, even though they've been all over the world, they're still boys. And I was their person. And they're like, no, we want you to lead us. So we went to an adaptive sports camp with some of the guys that had physical challenges. And we had to do all these sports in San Diego. And I am not a wheelchair basketball player. I am not able to throw a shot. But there was lots of things that I couldn't do. But we got to archery. And I'm like, I can sit still. I can sit in my chair. I'm a master wheelchair sitter. So that's what it was about. And that's how I got my start in archery. And I actually kind of got funneled. The coach's name is Brandy Smith. She's an amazing, amazing coach who launched my career. And she said, um, as, as we went on and I went to other like emerging camps, she said, I think that um, your classification would be as a W1. And I'm like, what is that? And she said that that's the most impaired class. And that was the last thing I wanted to be. I did not want to be the token broken. I had just gotten used to being in a wheelchair where everybody, you know, for, for adults that go into wheelchairs, it's a whole different ballgame because your whole identity changes because people look at you differently. Mm -hmm. They can see your struggles. And that was hard for me. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. Then I'm not, I don't want to shoot. I don't want to do that. And she said, Leah, we have an opportunity here for you to change the world, to move mountains for people that did. we have never had a W1, which is basically a quad female make the USA archery team ever. Mm. It's never been done. I knew that. Yeah. But you can do it because you have the voice and the drive and the will to prove people wrong. This is, this is your, I can't think, I want to say sounding board. This is your platform to change the world. So I, I accepted it and I've run with it since 2015. So it really isn't, so much about archery, although I've gotten really good at it because I shoot a lot of arrows. Uh -huh. But it isn't so much about shooting it. It's about showing people that the people that I needed to see when I ended up in the chair or at any point in my life, I needed people that looked like me, that talked like me, that that thought like me. And they were never there. I always felt like I was the odd duck out. And for the first time, I got to be that for other people. And that's dry, that's my legacy. To this day, it you know, archery is cool, and I think it's a great way to to reframe. You know, your it's a very mindful sport, mm, but yeah. I do it because I want to show people that it can be done, and that you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, who would have thought me of all people would be the world champion? Mm -hmm. And I am. 
And why do you think it was so difficult prior to you coming on board or prior to you doing it? Oh, what the W1? Because um, it is extremely difficult to shoot a bow um, enough times. You know, we compete in a qualification process with that is 72 arrows for score. But and there's six arrow ends. But before <laughs> that, there's three ends of six. So we're shooting almost 100 arrows per score. And that is incredibly difficult to train for that because we're in the heat, we're in the sun, we're exhausted. And if you're already a quad, you're already thinking about temperature control, you right. know, um, autonomic dysreflexia, you know, spasticity. You have the whole ball game. And I don't know why there's more men than women, but there still isn't even a lot of men. Not at all. But there's right now we have a young lady from Florida that hasn't made the score yet, but I think she's go Tracy. Oh, Tracy, because I think she can do it, but she would only be the second person. So finally, finally, I went to the Parapan American uh, Championships in Chile, in Santiago, Chile. And there were three young ladies there from South America that were shooting in the W1 women's class. And it was such an honor because they were so excited to meet me in tears, really, because their coaches had called me and said, how do I get this girl to shoot? So the fact that it worked exactly like Randy Smith said it would, they saw it on YouTube and they said, she can do it. I can do it. I'm like, that's right. And I told them, you are the future. I need to retire, but you are the future. If I can do it, you're going to kill it. And it's so, you know, that's legacy. That's moving forward. So there are three in South America. There are other W1 women's in other parts of the world, you know, in Asia and Europe, but they are supported financially by the countries that they live in. They get paid to shoot. They pay their families to let them shoot. They live and are taken care of at training facilities. And in America, that is not the way it is. And it's there's a huge cost barrier, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons I'm retiring, because at this point in my medical journey, I need to travel with a caregiver. And so when my caregiver came with me to Chile, it was over it was almost $7,000 just to bring her. And that is all on the athlete across the board, at least in archery, you know, and all the, the tournaments that we have to shoot here in the USA, you know, three or four every year going to, and if you have to travel with a caregiver, you're paying them to go to, and it's like cost prohibited. That's a huge hurdle with more impaired archers is to be able to do that. Yeah. And well, you mentioned that it's a mindful sport. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, you cannot shoot a bull well unless you're able to block everything else out that's going around in your environment. If you're paying attention to everything else, like I'm, they call me the squirrel because I'm like, dee, 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 dee. but the only time that I'm calm and centered is when I'm shooting my bow because all I can think about that. And, and to shoot a bow well, you need cadence, mm. timing, rhythm, and focus. That's it. So, you know, the video that, that has gone viral with 10 million views of me winning the world championship and not knowing it is because I was in the zone that complete. I took a lot of heat for that. A lot of people on social media really beat me down. Like she shouldn't even be allowed. She's, you know, using what? slang on me saying she's stupid. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's ashamed. No, no boys and girls. I was doing exactly what I needed to do to win that tournament one arrow at a time. And that's kind of a metaphor for life. Right. You can't yeah. really think about what's already downrange because you can't change it. If the, the last arrow I shot, in fact, when I shoot, Sean, I 
you know, a lot of the coaches use spotting scopes. And if you watch, they don't, I ask them not to tell me because in my mind, they're all in the 10. Okay. Yeah. Because even if they're in the six, what does it matter? I can't change it. Right. It's and already it's, down there. Great. That's a great point because yeah, I wouldn't want to know what my shot was beforehand because otherwise that could play with my, my psyche. Yeah. <laughs> I said, unless it's like off the paper, I don't want to know. And it was funny because Chris Webster is the Olympic coach and he's like, you don't want to know where your arrows are. I said, no, because in here they're all in the middle. So unless I'm way off, I don't want to hear it, but that's how I win elimination matches. And the other thing is, is they have a 30 foot by 30 foot jumbotron when you're in a, in a big match like that right behind it anyway, that shows you exactly where your arrow goes. But if you see me in any like YouTube video, I don't even look at that. I always face forward. The shoot, face forward, shoot. So my mind is going, good timing, good rhythm, good focus, good finish. I don't think about anything else. And people are like, oh, like in San Diego, apparently I had a heckler. And every time I came to full draw, he'd start yelling and screaming at me. And they wanted to file a protest. I'm like, don't bother. I've got eight siblings. I can ignore anything. I was a teacher. Never even heard of I can hear it on the film, but I didn't hear a thing when I was shooting. That's funny. Well, and, and Jonathan told me to watch that um, World Championship <laughs> video because uh, I talked to him just prior to talking to you. Uh, and so it was uh, fun to watch. I, I hadn't seen that yet. So now I'm at least one of the whatever millions that you said have, had seen Oh, my it. goodness. How, yeah, it's, it's uh, funny. And now when people say to me, they're like, hey, because it's still popping up on people's Instagrams or TikToks. Or, hey, I saw this one lady. On, it popped up on my on my For You page who was shooting and didn't know. Do you know her? <laughs> Some days I'm just like, nope. <laughs> Have no idea who that is, even though it's me. It's like I don't. Sometimes you just don't want to <laughs> keep explaining. <laughs> I have no idea. Good for her. So, so you mentioned <laughs> retirement. Is, when, <laughs> yes. when is that? Uh... I retired in January. Okay, so that's effective now. I, I yes, haven't heard I that effective. Um, uh, you know, so are you shooting at all now, or oh um, yeah, well I'm doing a lot of coaching. Doing some coaching. I'm, I'm coaching, and I love that. Um, I'm not so I retired from USA Archery and World Archery, but I can still shoot other modalities of archery. Mm -hmm. Um, the the deal is, is I'm very weak and I'm sick. Mm -hmm. You know, right now I have pneumonia. And I have an infection in the lining of my heart and it's nothing from outside. It is my own body attacking itself. Yeah. So, you know, I need to make some hard decisions about where am I going to spend my time, energy and resources. And I do have two children. My son, Joe's 26. My daughter, Cassidy's 28. And they, you know, have given up seeing their mom for seven months out of the year for the past nine years. So it's yeah. time. It's time to spend some time with the kids. And and doing stuff that I enjoy too. I applaud that decision. That's not an easy decision, I know for anybody, but it's well, the right decision, right? <laughs> yes. So I just took a team to Vegas and a lot of people stopped and said, Why would you retire? I mean, you're on top. I said, I'm indoor champion, outdoor champion, Pan American champion, continental champion, world champion. Why wouldn't I? I'm not that Rogers dude that keeps coming back. <laughs> I'm okay. I can stick to a decision, but you know, why, why would I continue to shoot? I have nothing left to prove to myself or anyone else. I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, indeed. 
and so of course you're 2016 and 2020 Paralympian as well, in addition mm-hmm. to all the different titles and championships that you've won. And you did compound, right? Yes. I can't pull back a recurve. And and that's why I wanted to, so I wanted to ask just for those that are listening, what's the difference between compound and recurve? For, you know, and, so, and why so, and why you need to choose compound. So the recurve is the tall one. You know, like the like the Robin Hood one where you pull it back the string and you put the but when you come to full draw, like the Olympics, when they come to full draw like, like that, they're holding the weight of the boat probably 30 or 40 pounds. When you shoot a compound, it's the one with the wheels. Like there's a wheel at the top. So once you pull it here and over that wheel, when I'm at full draw, I'm only holding 12 pounds, not 30 or 40. And in a in a we use a mechanical release in a compound. And in a recurve, they use their fingers. On. That's the problem that I have trouble with is enough hand dexterity to keep my fingers on the string. So that's why I shoot um, most W1s. Actually, we have to shoot a compound because given the, you know, the medical limitations, there's no way any of us could pull back a recurve. But I will say that I decided in 2018 that I wanted to be a level four USA archery coach and was told that I couldn't because I couldn't shoot a recurve. Mm. I'm a level four mm. USA archery coach. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Tell me I can't and I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I coached two collegiate teams when I lived in Wisconsin and though we went to the indoor nationals and when the kids first start, I put them all on bare bow, which is a recurve because it's the cheapest bow for me to buy. And they started putting them together at the event. And one of the other coaches walked over to me and she said do they know they can string their bow standing up <laughs> because i taught them to string their bow so they all sit down to string mm-hmm. their bow because that's what coach does and i said yeah overrated <laughs> and so um to i mean not to get into like the weeds too much but like so the the compound has like has i mean is there a div- what what allows the compound to um, lighten the load? There is no lighting of the load. So like um, when you're at full draw, if you're pulling back the limbs and the tension on the bow, say 40 pounds, you are holding 40 pounds uh-huh. at full draw. There is no let off. And they shoot 70 meters. Mm. So, but in, in, the, in the open, men's open and the, and the W1 class, we shoot 50 meters, but there's a cap on how much weight we can pull back. But there's a gentleman on the USA team. His name is Eric Bennett, and he's missing an arm um, from an auto accident when he was a teenager. And he shoots a recurve with his teeth. Mm. Wow. So he pulls back, holds all the weight. So his arrow is actually above his sight. And he shoots it that way. And it is world ranked there's also a young lady um that has currently had a baby but she shot she was in tokyo with me her name is emma rose ravish an amazing young lady when i met her um somebody said there's a young lady down down on the shooting line in a chair have you met her and i'm like not yet so i rolled down there and introduced myself and she's like oh i've never actually seen a lot of people in wheelchairs that shoot a bow and i said have you thought about the para team emma rose and she said Oh, I don't have any disabilities. The thing about Emma Rose is she has no lower half. She has the bottom part of her toe or so, and maybe about this much of her thigh. She was just born that way. 
but she don't have no disabilities. So I wouldn't shoot Para. And I'm like, I think you're thinking of something else. I think you're thinking of the Special Olympics, which is an amazing organization. Right. The Paralympics are extremely competitive. She shoots a recur with only a, a, a torso in her arms, 70 meters. And she, her first year of um, shooting, she broke every American record that we have. <laughs> And she came with me as the only other female to Tokyo. That's awesome. So future's bright. Yes. Yes. And when, what's really cool is people saw Emma Rose as she was coming up the ranks. And now there are also other girls, especially we have a lot of influence on South America, on the continental Americas that now have this. I don't know what the condition is where they're just born without legs or very, very short limbs down like Mm-hmm. very short limbs down there that are now shooting too, but none of them are brave enough to shoot recurve like Emma Rose. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you are always um, challenging um, uh, perceptions is that you got yes. into, you got into the sport late. And, and so I, yes. one of the things I always want to share is that, you know, there are some sports that, you know, obviously might be intended for a younger body, if you will, but there are some sports that you can do, at various ages, and archery is one of them. Well, exactly. Well, at one point, all the women on the USA archery team were over fifty, and mm-hmm. then Emma Rose is young, and there was a there's a couple, maybe in their one in their thirty and a couple in their one. But archery is not an age related sport, and neither is table tennis. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Bocce is another one. There are several of them, even at equine. Um, Para equine, mm-hmm. you will see more mindful sports attracts an older population, and it works in our favor because we have time and we have patience, and we're not going to rush what we're doing. So, yeah, a lot, even in the men's division, a lot of archers are older. So I went, I went to Rio as a freshman, as a fifty-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. So anyone out there listening? Or, yes, um, there's no age limit. Exactly. And what would you uh, tell someone who's thinking, who's never tried the sport? What would you What would you tell them in terms of either advice on how to get started or what to do? Well, I would suggest there's several organizations, including Move United, that has like archery programs all over the United States. There's para. Um, I don't know what they call it, para-adaptive, whatever. And if they're military, there's a ton of military ones, too, that can help you get started to make sure you get the right bow, that make sure you have the right adaptations to make sure you're safe. You know, a lot of times, at least when we first started, and I'm talking about, you know, the crew that was in Rio, I rolled into an archery range and they didn't even want to talk to me because they were very, very intimidated and they didn't want to make a mistake or they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want me to fail. So they would just ignore me. And I have to say, you know, through the efforts of the entire para team and USA archery and, you know, bringing it to the forefront, <coughs> the warrior games, the Invictus games, the move United games, you know, warfighter sports, it's I was just in Vegas and they had the highest number of para athletes, athlete kids, whatever. And they were just on the line with everybody else. And they're like, it was nobody even looked a second time. And that has, that's a huge difference from when I started in 2015. They're just accepted. And that is done by people like us that are older 
that show them and mentor them and make it normalized behavior. Yeah, I'm going to shoot right here in front of you. And if you have a problem with that, then go down the line because, you know, I deserve to be here. I've earned the right to be here. And those kids just killed it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And so, so, and there might, well, I'll back up and I'll say, I know USA Archery has done a great job with, you know, adaptive archery manuals and the certifications. And YouTube videos. Exactly. There's so much out there. So, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully athletes won't have the same challenges that you had. We're working really, and Jonathan is, is trying to work, trying to build a nationwide network, you know, and people always say, oh, I want to be a para coach. Just be an archery coach. Just be Mm -hmm. an archery coach. You don't have to understand. We'll, we'll fill you in on the rest of that, but be a good coach. But more importantly, be a good person. Be an inclusive person. Don't make assumptions because people say, oh, I'm a para coach because I saw a para or I pulled the arrows. And I'm like, don't make it about that because just include us. We'll figure it out. 